Hello, Amit. Hey, Andrew. How are you? How are you doing? You okay? Very good, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm very excited about our new opening screen. So I think um, what's missing, uh, missing is a little bit of music now. We need, uh, we need a jingle. We need to work on a jingle. Yeah, it's quite cool. I mean, the only thing that I'm slightly concerned about from once with you is the length of my sideburns on there. Um, <laughs> this was cause... taken a couple of days ago, pre-haircut, so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so so if anything sort of contributes to uh people understanding how bad my hair was two days ago then that's probably it right that's it exactly yeah yeah this was a pure uh, like like for like likeness that was uh so sorry about that yeah all right. anyway cool. it's good to talk also, about your hair as opposed to my hair so this is true this is true even though you've got lots of it but i think andrew the first thing i want to kind of say is uh i've been waiting here now for the best part of 12 hours and uh, uh, we're actually 12, 12 hours late to this webinar. Yeah, I do apologise. Um, I did see the uh, I did see the email, um, and uh, yeah, just it's taking me this this long to get ready. To be honest with you, and just blow dry my beard, so um, that's why I'm running a bit late. Sorry about that. Yeah. So so uh, apologies to those of you who received an email from us at two a.m. or twelve hours ago from now. Um, that was, I think that's just, I don't know, I guess the best way of uh, explaining this is, this is what happens when, you know, the CEO of a company gets to play with uh, flashy tools. Um, and instead of relying on the actual experts within, it or within our organization to kind of schedule emails, I decided to do it myself. And this is the pure cause sort of consequence of this. So uh, yeah, <laughs> gave myself uh, a hard kind of slap on the wrist this morning when I kind of realized that guys, apologies for maybe ruining your sleep. Um, that said, I was blown away by how many people decided to register at about 2.15 this morning. So, yeah, exactly. um, yeah so uh, I think, yeah, I mean, so that perhaps not all bad, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but there we go. Lesson learned. That's it. It, it just, it's just encouraged us to do a show at two o'clock in the morning, right? I mean, that's what it's really done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, but cool, guys, thank you for, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, yeah. Again, really excited about the show. Uh, last week's show, um, you know, I want to kind of just touch back on it purely because for the last two days, uh, I've been receiving uh, WhatsApp messages from Paul Bridger, who's been very happily telling me um, that my best performing LinkedIn post ever is performing well because it's got a picture of him on it. Um, <laughs> so, so a little bit of payback for some of the uh, some of the abuse we gave Paul last week, but. Um, but yeah, last week's show was great. This week, I think we've got something really exciting to talk about in terms of, yeah. you know, a very kind of hot topic over the last couple of months, which is which is e-commerce. Yeah. Um, but but I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about not just sort of e-commerce over the last couple of months, but really, you know, what impact you know these last two months have had in terms of how businesses kind of position themselves and and strategically look at digital sales or or digital commerce as such and um you know how they maybe strategize around this and, and start to kind of uh you know modify perhaps their own kind of business processes but yeah i mean any any kind of any kind of uh opening comments on that andrew yeah i mean i think that the nice thing about e-commerce is it's kind of probably something that we've all interacted with over the last uh, couple of months uh for sure if you hadn't ever touched it before i think you either have jumped on it yourself or know someone that has jumped on it so uh, I think uh, that's that's fairly well known and, and fairly well understood, I think. And obviously, we're going to dive into that. But I think what, uh, what will kind of be interesting is as we progress through the show, we start to talk more of the B2B element 
So how does that look? How does, uh, you know, how does the business world take on, um, take on this new excitement associated to, to e-commerce? Um, and obviously, I mean, we'll touch upon some stuff here regionally, um, but obviously we'll, we'll kind of look at global as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think we can just dive straight in, but essentially, yeah. you know, what we've seen, um, what we've seen from a data perspective, but not just data. I think sometimes we look at statistics and, and we're maybe surprised by these findings. Mm. I think uh, when we look at sort of e-commerce data that's flying around uh, over the last two or three months, um, there's no there's no kind of real surprise there, right? Because I think, like I said, for the first time, first time in perhaps history, you know, the population of the entire world have had to kind of behave differently. Yeah, um, they locked in their know, house. <laughs> right, and they're locked in their house. And obviously, you know, we still need to kind of do things right from a kind of purchasing perspective, whether it's, yeah. you know, groceries or whatever that looks like. But, you know, you know, obviously I think that's, that's important. So I think there's a couple of, um, couple of slides, but guys, just a quick reminder before we kind of start really kind of diving into the show and the discussion, um, we kind of really like this as an interactive forum. Uh, we like to hear your opinions. If you guys have got questions, please feel free to, uh, ask them, use the Q and A button at the bottom of your screens. Yeah. Um, Normally we get comments about Andrew's beard. Uh, I mean, feel free to send those in because uh, you know, I think that's Thanks. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah, very. Yeah. So, so yeah. Look, I, I guess that's it. But if we if we kind of um, if we look at if we look at the screen now, let me just share. Yeah, I think the first, the first way you're pulling up the slide here, I think this is one of those ones that is probably by no means a shock, um, but I think it might be just interesting in the sheer numbers. Yeah, and, and, and I think like, like with all kind of data, we've got to look at context as well. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, there's no kind of real surprise by, by this graph. I mean, this, you know, I, I think this could have been a little bit better if we'd have seen uh, data perhaps from the previous sort of 12 months just to see whether that growth curve was consistent. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of imagine it wasn't. But again, we're looking at kind of March data and, and March was still pretty early on in the kind of coronavirus world, right, in terms of... Yeah. You know, I think in Asia, they, they kind of started to feel the full impact, but I guess yeah. in, 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 in certain parts of the world, you know, coronavirus was still pretty new, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this kind of has just come out three days ago, this, um, this stat. So obviously I think in another month's time, we'll, we'll have a bit of a better understanding of how that, that hockey stick continues to arc up. Uh, I think obviously you can see, you know, a, a dramatic shift there on, on, you know, people going, uh, to to e-commerce uh, e-commerce sites, and I think that's um, I think that's that's borne out the fact also as well. I mean, just having conversations with uh, you know your peers, your your friends, your colleagues, your family, um, and asking them. And also, I mean, look at a, at a regional level as well. There's been a strong encouragement to use those platforms. So you know, even to the point where uh, here in the UAE, the the local government has actually you know published a list. These are some of the e-commerce platforms that you can um, that you can start to start to see uh, from there. So that's interesting. Actually, somebody in just from France has said the impacts uh, started around the 10th of March. So obviously they can yeah. see there where where it started to hit in France. I think that was similar in 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 Europe as well, uh, Rabia. So I think yeah, that's it. Uh, actually, funnily enough, Dan says here that he's uh, been using less e-commerce because it's exciting going to Waitrose now. It's a social event. <laughs> <laughs> quite comical um but uh but yeah so i yeah. think the thing is that you're starting to see you know that that growth um and then obviously you know a stronger 
stronger growth, I think, obviously, as, as, as May and June will kick in as well. Yeah, and I think I think one of the other things is is um, you know if we're looking at a twelve point up, you know twelve point eight one to fourteen point three four, perhaps doesn't feel as kind of dramatic as what it is. But I think when you're talking about billions of people, yeah, or billions, billion, visits, yeah. I think it's yeah. significant. One billion, yeah. So I think just one more kind of slide on this, guys. You know, we kind of aren't fans of uh, slide heavy uh, webinars, but. You know, I think obviously what was important is just to see uh, the impact on on what people are actually buying. So, yeah, uh, yeah this this slide, I think this was some data that was uh, sort of flying around. I think I saw it in LinkedIn a few weeks back. Um, but really, where has that kind of demand been? Um, yeah. I guess more important than what people are buying is perhaps what they're not buying. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I, I, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I mean, some of these are fairly, I guess, uh, understandable things like luggage, uh, swimwear. <laughs> you know, gym bags um, and, and obviously store fixtures and displays. Yeah, I mean, I think this this is is fairly self-explanatory. Um, I think the interesting thing is that with, you know, being being at, being at home uh, for most of us, I, th I think you've seen some other interesting uh, purchases. So I actually attended my nephew's uh, Zoom birthday party where they had uh, a child's entertainer on there. Um, but prior to that, obviously, everyone was kind of... Um, uh, bought a virtual gift bag uh, where, where it kind of got delivered. So as ordinarily a, a very physical event, you'd walk away from a birthday party with a piece of cake and, uh, you know, some sweets. And I guess that's not, that's changed a lot. Uh, now I've heard of stories here locally where people get iPads in their birthday bags. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, <clears throat> it's, it's obviously some of those, and, and we can talk about some of the polls that we've got to see how people are, are buying as well. But uh most of those are fairly self-explanatory, like we said. Yeah, I think I think maybe we'll do that because I think it's always good to look at kind of data, and especially when it's kind of relevant to our audience. Yeah. Um, so we've we've got a poll. Let me let me kind of launch that. Um, yeah, it's an early it's... time for a poll, actually. So for those of you that are new, we can see some familiar faces. So thank you again for watching the show. For those of you that are new, um, we this is kind of discussion. We talk around. Uh, kind of what we find out there and, and in real real world scenario but we like to also hear back from you guys um, where we kind of throw out these polls and those polls really help us kind of determine the the, the path of the show as well yeah absolutely so um, this is a two-part poll guys so uh, the first question is you know what did you kind of typically buy uh, online prior to COVID-19 um, and the second part of it is you know kind of what are you buying now right so Yes. just to see if there's been any kind of differences in behavior um, between what we were doing sort of pre-COVID when the world was kind of a slightly happier place, I'd guess. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to kind of understand that. So if you, can, if you can kind of give feedback on both of those questions and we'll share those results very shortly as well. So yeah, we've started to see these come in. Yeah, I mean, I think we, out of those, Amit, I mean, what were you, what were you buying kind of pre-COVID? Uh, pre you know, I guess I guess a lot of it was based on uh, things like electrical goods, um, a little bit of furniture, but but not too much else. Um, you know, vegetables every now and then. Yeah. But um, but I think obviously since this uh, since this has happened, pretty much all of those all of those elements, including office supplies. Obviously, I needed you know things for my home office, and um, yeah, you know, it's easier to order a big box of paper than. Uh, and go and pick it up you know i think that's that's kind of part of it yeah that's it yeah the nice the nice thing about those deliveries is, is they get on there i mean i yeah. same for me really i was buying kind of gadgets electrical goods that's what i was tending to 
unable to scroll down someone said can you scroll so can you scroll it down there um, yeah. we've got some people answering just want to make sure everyone gets a chance to to answer okay um, give it another we'll give it another five or six seconds yeah okay yeah all right cool let me let me yeah, let cool. me show yeah let's show the results because i think let's share them yeah. are here so again, pretty pretty wide mix. Um, you know, if we're looking at that first question, so kind of prior to COVID, uh, yeah, toiletries and groceries, um, yeah, electrical goods being the main one, and and obviously the big shift, I guess, is more people now, kind of purchasing sort of groceries and toiletries online. Um, you know, that's gone from say forty one percent down uh, up to eighty two percent. So, you know, that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah cool yeah i mean okay so i mean how i mean look I, i'm in this i'm in this category so now uh i've bought groceries and toiletries i've bought fresh produce um i've bought furniture i've bought toys and games electric goods yeah. and office supplies i mean i pretty much yeah. and and i guess you know possibly a third question would be you know what why would you go back to for example sure uh buying some of these other products in a physical store okay well funny you should say that andrew yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's almost uh, like I knew what the next question was going to yeah, be. I just, I, just probably, I don't know how I, uh, how I thought of that. It's probably the most beautifully choreographed thing we've ever done on this show. I think. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't so guys, use the word choreograph with this show to be honest with you, but yeah, go for it. Great. So yeah, guys, this is multiple choice. So just, just uh, yeah, select whichever ones apply. Um. And there's a reason why we're asking some of these questions. So it'd be good to get your feedback. Again, we'll leave that open for another sort of 10, 10 seconds or so. Um, what about for you, Andrew? Uh, what, as far as why I'm buying online? Yeah, what would you pick here? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is, is convenience. So as much as we've moved to a work from home environment, um, it's allowed you to kind of continue to work whilst not allocating time to kind of heading out the door um, and, and, and the kind of pain that that causes now. Um, I guess during the, the, the lockdown time-wise, that was probably made worse because you could only go out during certain times of the day. Um, but obviously, I think, you know, the fact that you can, I mean, in all the tens of purposes, while we're having this show, I could be ordering things, you know, on my mobile if I wanted to. Um, you know, and, and, and they make it super easy as well, most of these, uh, most of these online stores. Yeah, and I think, I think, look, convenience is obviously the kind of obvious one. Um, yeah. Yeah, speed of delivery, wider product range. I know in some places, you know, different retailers have access to uh, different products. So I think the digital world kind of obviously gives you access to a wider range of products there. Uh, price is important, I think, especially moving forward. So if we feel as if we can save money, um, you know, if we are kind of heading towards even, even you know, more difficult times ahead, then, uh, you know, price becomes uh, even more so important. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting actually thomas is just uh thanks for joining us thomas uh, he's a regular viewer of ours so um he just said that we we missed out the option that there's no option to none of the above as far as people that are not buying online i guess that was just uh us being very foolish thinking that everyone is buying online so perhaps <laughs> we can we can send out a poll afterwards and ask uh you know why why would you not buy online i guess yeah. um but yeah. um yeah I, I i think um we'd we'd kind of we, we used a, uh, a bit of bro science as far as, you know, who's speaking to people, but then also linking into the, the, the stats that are out there. And obviously yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a shift there. I mean, I'd, I'd say 
you know, Amit, why, why, why did you kind of start looking at these other areas? What was, what was kind of, you know, why moved, why the shift? I mean, we could all still go out and buy for you individually. What was the shift? No, I think, I think honestly, it was just more, it was more convenience. It was also safer. I mean, I think those, those are the real yeah. kind of reasons. Um, that's probably something else we should have put on the list, but you know, yeah. I think, um, you know, the reality is that, you know, we, we're all forming habits right now, you know, so, um, so, I mean, from my perspective, sure, there's certainly products now, which I'll never go out to a retail store and buy, you know, I've just, yeah. I, I've done it online. I've seen how, how easy it is. The quality has been, been great. Um, you know, and I think, I think those kind of things matter, but Andrew, I think let's kind of, you know, let's, let's kind of turn our attention a little bit to, uh, maybe some of the conversations you've been having, you know, from a kind of sales perspective, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. so in, in our kind of Nexa, Nexa world, um, you know, what, what have you seen? Has there been kind of an appetite for um, more sort of e-commerce uh, activities from, you know, maybe traditional types of retailers? Um, you know, what, what, has been, what has been kind of some of your recommendations for that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, so, so what you're seeing across the board really is two things. Uh, the first thing that you're seeing is there's a lot of people that have never had, first of all, digital presence. So you're talking to organizations that felt they never needed a digital presence. And that may be yeah. um, front facing as far as retail, because it was very store driven or location business activity. Um, or it may be obviously in a B2B space that just had, you know, contracts in place and they never felt the need to uh, communicate with anyone in, in that manner. So first and foremost, there's a, there's, a, there's a dramatic increase in interest as far as, you know, getting digital uh, our website, right? Um, on top of that is obviously the, the individuals that do want to fire up some sort of e-commerce. And I think they really, they shake down in a couple of different categories. So you've got some individuals that have had to kind of pivot their business, um, you know, away from what they were doing previously and, and, you know, shift it completely online. I think we'll talk about someone who's done that in, in a minute. Um, and then we, there's other individuals that see this as opportunity. So we're getting people saying, hey, listen, I want to start, you know, a drop shipping company. How do I do that? I've, I'm, my wife is making, um, you know, some interesting uh, kind of masks, for example, COVID masks. So I want to fire up a shop. How can I do that? Um, and then obviously you've got some traditional retailers uh, like furniture stores that have said, all of my business was shop driven. I need to get something online. I need the ability to people to buy, you know, what can I do? You know, um, and that's where the discussion kind of moves into, um, usually the discussion moves into, you know, should you be looking at building that out yourself? So in, in a Magento or Shopify or, you know, uh, or one of the other kind of platforms. Um, but some people are just looking at marketplace. Some people are looking at AliExpress, you know, some more of these kind of um, aggregators, right? Um, where, where you can effectively set up a virtual shop, um, you know, and, and not, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily have a physical presence um, in, in so, that space. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that then. So what, what are the yeah. benefits of each? What's the benefits of, let's talk about maybe yeah. the marketplace first. Sure. So, sure. so, you know, as, if I'm a prospective client, uh, yeah. you know, what, what, what would be the, uh, the advantages of me um, going to an Amazon uh, sure. or yeah. regionally here in the Middle East, we've got a site called Noon. Noon, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, why, why would I why would I choose to maybe list my products on on these kinds of portals as opposed to building my own? Yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously it's not just about the the, the kind of physical you know or, or a digital store 
that people can come in. It's everything else associated to that. So before I just kind of jump into that, you know, sure. what most people don't consider is they don't consider the other things associated to having an online store. They don't consider delivery. They don't consider payments. They don't consider logistics. They don't of, of returns. They don't look at customer care. So I think the thing is, these are the other relevance as well that we do have a conversation with. So very much, you know, I want to launch a shop. Great. You know, do you have a delivery partner? Do you have a payment partner? Do you have other things in place in order to help facilitate someone buy your goods? Um, so one of the reasons that obviously people do look at marketplace is it's, it's pretty low barrier to entry, right? So without having to invest in a store, uh, without having to invest in a website or an application, I can you know, put my goods up in that space. And I've, and I've kind of got a ready, ready to buy audience. You know, if, yeah. if I'm selling X good, I might be selling, let's say phone cases. I'm selling phone cases. Um, you know, there's people looking for phone cases on Amazon daily. There's people looking on phone cases sure. for noon, for example. So at that point, it's just about making sure that some of these other things are, you know, there, like the, the, the kind of customer care, the product that I'm presenting actually is the product that people receive. And then obviously, usually that fulfillment is either by, by uh, the, the customer themselves, or they can choose noon to fulfill it or Amazon to fulfill it based on cost, right? Um, right. So, so I think it's the barrier to entry. Um, that, that kind of pushes a lot of people in there first. Um, even I was talking to a, a perfumery. Um, they've been here over 35 years and, and they, you know, they supply countless stores, um, but they kind of dip their toe in the water as far as setting up in marketplace. And now they're kind of ready, you know, and, and the conversation was around, we feel like we're ready to jump and get our own store. But what, what would that give us? What benefits, you know, why would I want to do it? Why would I not want to stay with my, my Amazon environment? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the challenge, I think you're right. I mean, barrier to entry is, is important. Speed to market is, is also equally yeah. important. Um, so I think, I think these are obviously kind of very, very kind of important factors. Um, I, I guess, I guess the challenge is, is, you know, what do you lose by not having your own store? You know, yeah. so, so if we're, if we're looking at if we're looking at marketplaces, I think you touched on some great points, right? So things like, you know, they've already got their own audiences. Yeah. So perhaps your your marketing costs are, are considerably less reduced. Right? Yeah. You don't yeah. right. You don't you don't have to drive people to, you know, your own website. You perhaps don't need to worry about the kind of search engine optimization side of it, yeah. social media campaign, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um. So fine. We 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 use their you know we use their kind of uh, target audience. Um. I think you mentioned obviously as well the distribution side of it. So from a logistics perspective, yeah. that works. From a payment gateway perspective, I know there's challenges in some places for that. So that works. Yeah. Um, but what are you losing? I mean, I think I, I kind of almost mm. feel as if, you know, by by doing that, if if you don't care about your product in terms of, and not, not obviously not care about the product, but if your sole objective, I guess, is to sell products rather than build a brand. Yeah. Then, then perhaps these marketplaces are, are the right right kind of place for you. Yeah, you, know, sure. if you just need to shift yeah, products. Yeah. Right. But you know, I kind of feel as if when you're when you're listing your products on these kinds of sites, you lose a lot more. So, I mean, yeah. I'll just throw a question out to you, Andrew. Right. Yeah. You use Amazon. You use Noon. The yeah. last products you bought, who did yeah. you? You know, who was who was who was the vendor? Who was the supplier? <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, so let me think about last product I bought. Uh, I bought a PlayStation game um, okay. for my son. Well, of course. apparently it was for of my course. son. 
uh, great thing about having a son. There's a lot of things that turn out. Oh, yeah, this is definitely for him. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, actually, I could not tell you. Um, so my right. search criteria was based on price. I looked at there was a whole choice. Uh, it was Overwatch. Yes. So I was looking at Overwatch, whole choice, price, and then I looked okay. at rating and review, and that was it. I literally, I mean, I, I couldn't. I, I, I'd have no clue who who I actually bought it from. Genuinely. Yeah. And this is this is this is precisely the kind of problem I, I kind of think exists. Um, and, and honestly, you know, when I kind of look at this, because it's the same thing, I was, I was thinking back, what, you know, what did I buy? Who did I buy it from? And I, I've yeah. got no idea, right? You know, essentially, yeah. I'm buying from Amazon and I don't really care who that supplier is, yeah. right? It's not Amazon. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're obviously, you know, hosting hoping that they, you trust and, them and there's, there's obviously they, right. they can deliver the product. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I, I've got a real challenge here. And I think the challenge is focused on um, other industries, right? We've been, we've, been, we've been here before. This smells really familiar. You know, so if we look at um, if we look at the hotel industry, right? For example, um, that I think was an industry that really woke up too late at the um, at the prospect of a marketplace, you know, being in that industry, right? So, yeah. you know, you had things like travel agents and and kind of traditional traditional kind of uh, providers of say hotel rooms and flights and things like that. Yeah. But when online travel agencies came into play, I think a lot of hotels and hotel groups looked at this and said, "This is brilliant." Right. We don't yeah. have to worry about marketing. Yeah. We don't have to worry about, um, you know, selling rooms now. We've got these guys who, you know, they're crazy. You know, they're out there spending millions of dollars on advertising yeah. to sell our room. And all we've got to do is give them a, you know, a small percentage. This is great. Yeah. Until such point where they realized that, you know, 20 or 30 percent of top line revenue was actually being taken by these guys for facilitating a booking. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that became a bigger issue when those uh, OTAs or the online travel agencies suddenly decided that actually we don't need to pass the data onto the hotels other than yeah. somebody's make a, made a booking. Why? Because we own that data. And, yeah. and I wonder how exactly. much of that exists you know, with, with, with companies like Amazon right now where yeah. you know, with a company at the moment who's a retailer you know, listing mm. their products on Amazon, you know, these aren't, these aren't the customers of that retailer. These are the customers of no. Amazon. No, right? and interestingly, I think we, if we look at, like, we said that convenience is a driving factor for buying yeah. online. Now, I'm, now, you've genuinely got me thinking now. So buying that game, great experience, delivered on time, actually ahead of time. I'm happy the price was right. To, to actually buy from that supplier again, um, yeah, actually, I've got to go in and then look at previous orders and then go into their listings and then try and find other games in their listings so it's not convenient it's, it's actually a bit of a headache um but it's, yeah. but it's done on purpose right there's no accident yeah, exactly as we yeah, know yeah, right? yeah. We, we know how yeah. we know how these big firms work and i mean yeah. this is a problem so now if you did want to say hey you know what the whole experience was great you've got to go back to amazon and make that purchase right yeah that's the point exactly. you know 100%. you're not yeah right you're not going to go back to that retailer because actually it's too much hassle or it's maybe impossible yeah and, and i think and, i think and this I'm relying is, I'm relying on the fact that Amazon are actually taking care of that relationship for me and making sure that that is a good supplier as well at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. And obviously they, you know, they, these guys are smart. So, you know, same yeah. in the hotel industry, you almost feel as if, okay, you know, booking.com or hotels.com, you know, they've, they've looked at the security, they've looked mm. at whether these uh, hotels are legitimate and, you know, they take that kind of hassle away and, and you're kind of buying, yeah. buying into that confidence as such. Right. And you're buying into yeah, that exactly. credibility, but in the long run and, and hotels, you know, sort of, you know, sorry to kind of labor on on that, but they kind of almost realized too late. You know, mm. 
they, you know, these, um, you know, these, these are aggregate sites and the OTAs got so powerful that then to try and claw that back has become really tough. And I think similarly, we've seen this as the restaurant industry, Restaurants, right? But it's happened, yeah. but it's happened so much quicker. Yeah. It's happened so much quicker. Yeah. If we look at OTAs, maybe that took, you know, seven to 10 years for people to really yeah. realize how much of a problem this was. Restaurants, it's taken a year or two, right? Yeah, um, you know, where, right. where restaurants have realized actually, you know, these aren't our customers. These are actually mm. the customers of, you know, Deliveroo's or Uber Eats or whoever, whoever yeah. those companies are. Um, and this is a massive challenge because how do you build loyalty? How do you build a relationship? How do you really kind of manage that customer journey? Um, it's, it's really, really difficult to do so. Um, yeah. You know, and almost, uh, you know, again, and they're giving up a big slice of revenue for that privilege. Exactly. You know? yeah. So, yeah, but that, 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 that's the, that's the, um, that's the cost benefit, isn't it? You know, and I, I think that's it. I think the cost is actually reaching a point where it's too great. Um, and I think, and look, I think, you know, retailers have to be mindful of that when they are kind of stepping into this new journey. I mean, there's been a few malls that have offered up, um, virtual stores for their tenants, for example. And obviously a lot of tenants have probably, you know, jumped on that, the opportunity to still have a conversation and interact with individuals, but they should be, considering or at least looking at building out their own presence as well i mean look i think the thing is amit you know you you touched upon this but i mean say say somebody wants to launch their own site you know what what kind of data what how does a relationship change in your eyes so if i'm interacting with you as a brand you know what can that brand do with their own environment that they couldn't do on on an amazon or or, or another marketplace yeah i think i think the key to that is data so the data accessibility that they have of somebody browsing on their own e-commerce e store um, and, you know, understanding the purchase history of individuals, I think, I think is super important. Um, you know, we have a lot of conversations with e-commerce retailers who have, you know, brick and mortar stores as well. And, and yeah. you know, one of the things that we, we do say to them is, guys, this isn't just a case of, you know, having a brick and mortar store and then suddenly opening an online store and, you know, everything's rosy. You know, mm. with, a, with a digital store, yes, you don't have to worry about, you know, a lot of kind of physical aspects and things like that that you have with your yeah, physical Yeah, cashiers store. and people on the shop floor and stuff, yeah. Right, but data becomes your biggest sort of commodity, right? And, mm. and your, biggest, your biggest asset. And, and if you don't manage that correctly, then you have an issue. And we're not talking about just a database where, where, you know, you can send, you know, emails out and things like that. But we're talking about, you know, marketing automation, you know, intelligent tools, uh, you know, where you've got predictive analysis, where you can kind of understand, you know, trends, um, you know, how best to market your product, personalization. I mean, you yeah. lose all of these opportunities. And look, and Amazon is just absolutely beautiful at it, right? You know, yeah, they, yeah. because they have all this data. They know exactly That's what right. we're interested in. Yeah, yeah. You know, they exactly. show us products in a very kind of timely manner because they know our buying behaviors. And, and I think with retailers, when they kind of give this up, um, what they're losing is, is well, I'd say, A, they're losing a lot from a data perspective, but they're losing ground. You know, so yep. the longer they rely on, 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 on aggregators and marketplaces, um, you know, that, the harder I think it becomes to sort of claw that back. Um, yep. I think in Amazon's world, actually, and again, this, this, this wasn't designed to be very Amazon focused, but I mean, these guys are very smart at understanding consumer de uh, demand, and they've made acquisitions on the back of understanding that demand. Yep. Right? So if you look at the purchase of Ring, you know, yeah. um, right. That was based on the fact that they, they kind of saw data, um, realized the power and potential of, of these products and yeah. decided to buy the company. I mean, this is, you know, this is also, I think, yeah, really kind of interesting. Yeah, right? look, at, so, look at Fire Sticks, 
look at fire tablets, look at Kindles. I mean, Audible, they bought Audible, but they looked at, you know, what was being sold and said, well, okay, hold on a minute. Why don't we actually produce this ourselves and then interlace products? I mean, the interesting thing now as well, obviously from an e-commerce perspective, is if you've got, you know, another huge player that's just starting to enter the market in the, in the shape of Facebook. So Facebook, obviously last week, uh, you know, announced the launch of Facebook shops. Um, you know, they were trialing it a bit in the States with Instagram shops as well, where you, you don't leave that space. So you, you can have your own, um, you know, virtual or your own e-commerce store in Facebook or on Instagram. Um, and I think that's an interesting dynamic again as well, because, you know, they, they have that data, they know what they're pushing, they know what they're pulling. So it'll be interesting again, will this with the Facebook shop form all in the, the, the marketplace camp? or your individual camp, because you could say, well, well, no, I've got my store, you know, and I'm on, obviously I'm on, um, uh, you know, uh, Facebook, but, but actually ultimately, you know, you, what kind of data are you going to be able to gain from them? I mean, you know, we, we, we should mention Shopify, Shopify, obviously, uh, they launched their own marketplace, um, about a month ago as well. Now we you kind of seen their share price skyrocket. The Shopify is, is, is a platform guys. For those of you who don't know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, an e-commerce platform that's, that's very popular um, and obviously gaining some traction here locally as well. So I think, again, you know, this is going to be another dynamic for people to to look at. So, you know, potentially, is it okay? Um, and I, I think we've been asked the question, you know, should I be on all three, right? Um, you know, should I have a marketplace? Should I have this? Should I have that? Just to kind of gain full control. Um, I mean, you know, what, what do you think? Do you think this is, is kind of spread, spread the love or is this kind of focusing on one area? What do you think? It's, I think it's very difficult if I'm honest with you. And I think it comes down to my product. Mm. You know, so if, I, if I want to control that brand experience, yeah. um, you know, if that's where my equity lies in, in terms of the business, then I think I focus uh, fully on, yeah. on, on an e-commerce store. If I've got certain products, which I just need to shift in volume, then perhaps yeah. I look at marketplaces. There's no right or wrong answer to this, if I'm honest with you. I yeah. think, you know, a lot of it will come down to people's budgets, their appetites to really kind of dive into e-commerce. Um, but I do feel as if, if people have got really kind of any real long-term ambitions, um, you know, having your own store, having your own access to data, um, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be a long-term um, sort of determinant of success. And I think without yeah, I think that, you face challenges. You've said, obviously, I mean, you know, the customer experience and the customer journey is key here and you're able to control that. I mean, there was quite yeah. famously, you know, I think um, Freedom Pizza that decided to remove themselves locally here in this market from some of these aggregators because essentially they were losing a connection with the customer. Um, and, and at that point as well, the only time that the brand ever gets pulled back in is if it's a negative experience, yeah. right? So especially with the food, you know, or hotel or whatever, it's, it's all, yeah, you know, I had a bad experience. I, you know, I, I, I booked this and I got this, this, this hotel room doesn't match, you know, what I saw on hotel.com. And, and that's not at that point, that's not hotel.com's issue, right? Nobody thinks, yeah. well, I won't book again on hotel.com. They think, well, I won't look at the Meridian again, uh, yeah. for example. So I think that, that customer experience as well, and you being able to, personalize that experience or personalize that journey is, is, is crucial to conversion as well. Right. And, and repeat yeah, purchase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think look also, I mean, you've also now got a whole load of just kitchens, right? Kitchens yeah. that are just producing food. They don't really care about a brand. It's more about the volume and, and offering. Yeah, available kitchens, food. Yeah. This is, um, you know, so, so again, I think that's similar to having those kind of, I don't know, phone cases online, you know, maybe 
too bothered mm. about who buys them. You're not worried about it, yeah. But you just want to shift it, right, at a margin. Yeah. So I think, I think you know, there's for, for different businesses and, and, you know, I guess aggregation models, there's different opportunities as well. But yeah. Andrew, I want to kind of, I want to shift focus on B2B. But before we do that, there's a good question in from uh, Raj. Um, and, and, I, and it's, again, very B2C focused. So I want to kind of answer this. Yeah. Um, but Raj basically asks if, um, you know, in this kind of very digital and complex world that we're in, uh, what's the role of physical stores now? And what, what about the human capital involved? I mean, what are your thoughts here? I what think, changes? Um, yeah, I think it does change. I think it looks very different. I think if you look at some of the massive disruptors out there in the marketplace, like a Casper, in in so if you're those who are unfamiliar casper you know took the us by storm and and kind of europe as well where they changed the model of buying mattresses so traditionally obviously people would go to a mattress store they'd lay down you know test out the mattress what they did is they they flipped it so you don't need to do that buy online we'll ship it to you and you can sleep on it for 100 nights if you don't like it just send it back right you know free free return um what they started to notice is that people, as they started to increase their product portfolio, people still actually wanted to kind of experience the product, you know? So what they started to do is they started to have these pop-up experiential stores. So you were able to go and touch, feel, look um, at some of these products. So I think that there's still maybe a case for kind of retail space, um, but I think the actual space itself is gonna be very different. I think it's more experiential, um, you know, and allowing me to, to kind of hands-on see what this does for me or yeah. as a gift or whatever, as opposed to, you know, huge uh, retail spaces or huge malls. I mean, we've seen a shift anyway. As much as there's big malls here, a lot of them are dedicated to F&B and socializing just because of the weather here. So I think you'll, you'll start to see a bit, of a, a bit of a shift. I think the challenge with the impact on individuals obviously within within that space is it's almost um going to be having to look at almost like um you know uh, enhancing their skill set to to kind of move with the times um so that may be more personalized shopper approach or maybe looking to the digital space to you know to to, to work in that field um you know I, I i think that the times of the, the retail i mean they're going to be tough for sure I think that people still would probably like to go to a physical space to to experience something, but I don't think that that these huge stores are, are necessary anymore. To be honest, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, what do you can, think? Well, it's it's different. Again, I keep saying it's difficult. I think because it is. But if we if we oh, look super at tough, yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if we look at two angles of this, so in the states, um, I'm trying to think when, but three or four years ago. Uh, I was at a conference where there was a new mall that was about to be launched and this was a, um, and they called it almost like a digital e-commerce mall. Mm. And what they had is this, this was for companies uh, who realized that people before they bought their products wanted to kind of touch and feel um, a product, right? Yeah. And so what they would have is rather than having a big retail store, like what you mentioned, they'd have a very small retail store and they'd have maybe one product item um, of each category. Yeah, that allows for you know, and that could be you know a, a company that sells jeans, for example, right? Where yeah. somebody can come in, they can touch a material, they can feel it. Perhaps there's one of their size in there, but they can't buy from there. And then yeah. what they, the idea of that mall was, is then you've got you know different sort of kiosks where you can just go, place your order, yeah. and then leave. Um, now I don't know how successful that's been, but at the time that did feel like it was maybe an inter interesting concept, right? Mm. Um, you know, again, well, look at we're, Tesla. We're, 
we we spoke about Tesla, I think, a couple of weeks right. ago. You go to Tesla now, it doesn't matter if you've got a suitcase full of cash, you can't buy it from the Tesla sure. showroom. Sure. Right. So very, yeah, very similar to that. Yeah, very similar to that experience. Um, but you can touch and feel one in the showroom, right? You just can't exactly. walk home. Uh, okay. you know, walk yeah, exactly. You go for a drive, so, you can take it out, yeah. have some fun, but you can't yeah. actually walk away with it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I so, think you're right. I think that experiential, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think there's there's still kind of room for that. I think the second thing, if we bring it on the human capital side, is um, you know, and, and I think one of our poll questions, we we got we got some decent answers where people said, look, it's easier to buy uh, through an e-commerce portal because we don't have to speak to a salesperson, you know. So yeah, you know, there's so much data out there, you know, especially uh, millennials, and we'll kind of talk about that in a second as well. But yeah, you know, millennials, you know, all the data tells us that they don't trust salespeople. They don't want to speak yeah. to salespeople. They, they're empowered. Yeah. They want to kind of learn, uh, you know, learn themselves and educate themselves. Yeah. And and if that's the world that we live in, then the salespeople that are involved in in retail need to really up their game, right? So they need mm -hmm. to, you know, they're not. Twenty years ago, you know, somebody can walk into a retail showroom and and guaranteed the salesperson knows more about their product than them. Hundred percent. Today, yeah. I don't think that's the case. And no. so, you know, if that salesperson isn't knowledgeable, doesn't know as you know needs to needs to 100% know more about that product than the you know than the customer walking yeah. in and i think if they can demonstrate that then there's obviously value associated to those i think yeah. if you get salespeople who 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 haven't gone down that process um and there's a whole load of you know factors that influence that such as training and yeah. things like that as well but um you know i think i think that's where they might find themselves kind of redundant from a you know retail sales perspective yeah, I mean, you and I have been in a real, real environment where you and I were in Best Buy in New York. Uh, I don't know why it's pronounced it like that, but anyway, we were in New York and um, we were looking to buy at the time, I think it was some Alexas. And uh, you and I were both sitting there with review sites open, checking the reviews between the Alexa, Alexa, Google Home, you know, Apple Pod. We, we were kind of doing all of that in the store. You know, and someone comes over and goes, "Hey, can I help you?" No, no, we're good. Yeah. Like, you know, we, you know, not that we're millennials, so just, just for throw no, it out there. But, but yeah, but there's a reason. There's a reason why I'm laughing because you mentioned that. What did we walk away with, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. It's almost we embarrassing away to with. say. We yeah, walked no, away one of each. <laughs> so we, instead of, instead of trying to figure out whether we wanted an Alexa or a Google Home, we actually bought both. So and both of us yeah. bought both. Um, you know what? I forgot that. That wasn't probably not a good example. <laughs> I shouldn't uh, should have said that. But yeah, that, if, if, if in doubt, just buy all of it, right? That's, just buy everything. Just buy everything. Yeah. Pre COVID that, world. That, that kind of, yeah, exactly. Buy everything. Um, but that's an, there, there's where the experience could be quite different. So, I mean, it may be a sound room, it may be a little mock-up of an apartment or a mock-up of a house. You know, how is it you're, you're using the Google Net, you know, Nest? How is it, for example, you mentioned Nest? How does this look in my home? What do they actually look like? How easy is it to fix? I think that's more that experiential. Um, we, we will, there have been other questions, by the way, and there's some comments coming in. So we will get to them during the course of the show. But Dan's just mentioned here, yeah, Nike are doing some interesting experiences. You can design your own shoes, personalize it as part of the purchase. Yeah, again, that goes back to that kind of millennial, you know, you know, and we talk about it, but the millennial focus of personalizing their experience, right? They want something very individual to them. So if it is going to, um, a store just for an experience experience that you can't get at home um, that 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 may be a reason to drive people to a store um, yeah. you know and then that's across I mean not just retail we've point. seen that you know back home in in banking I mean Virgin Money back home they started to transform their stores to 
they had a co-op workspace, they had, you know, a Boohoo e-commerce store set up for delivery where you could see some products. So yes, you were going to the bank, but you're also doing, a, you had a coffee in the bank, a whole host of other things sure. because obviously people stopped going to banks, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, I think, yeah. Yeah, just back to that Nike point. I mean, uh, so Fifth Avenue, New York, basketball yeah. court in the middle of a store, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah so, so it's not just about, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, I want to go in and try my shoes on. Actually, I want to go yeah. on and try try my Jordans on and I want to play basketball because that's what, you know, yeah. that allows me to test the product. I mean, it's, it's exactly. and you, you have a ton of people that are watching that, that court the whole time. And it's, again, an experience. So, yeah, great point, yeah. Dan. Um, cool. Look, so, Andrew, B2B, because I think this is, um, yeah. you know, everyone kind of knows about, you know, B2C commerce, we're all kind of using it now. Yeah. Um, but in a B2B world, I mean, I, I kind of feel as if this is, this is lagging slightly. Um, and, and, you know, so I started researching this, you know, in advance of a show and also, you know, previously when we've been kind of working and trying to figure this out. Yeah. But there always seems to be barriers, you know, when we kind of speak to uh, our B2B clients um, and, you know, we kind of say to them, look, you need to kind of think about digital sales. Um, I think there's a, first and foremost, I feel as, as if there's a bit of an assumption that, you know, when we're talking about B2B e-commerce, that people have to go in, I don't know, look for machinery on a web page, yeah. press, yeah. you know, add to cart, buy now, and it's a million dollar transaction. They've got to put in their yeah. credit card. I think, I think there's definitely a kind of misconception about that. Um, and I think there's plenty or, or, of mean, opportunities, or, right? Yeah. And I think some also as well in line with that, perhaps some, someone's thought of B2B is an Alibaba, right? Where like, you, you know, I'll go in and I'll buy, I don't know, you know, like X uh, hundred thousand meters of material because I'm a textiler and I want to obviously, sure. you know, I'm a fashion retail house and I want to use this electronic platform uh, from there. So like, you know, yeah. so I think, I think, yeah, when, when you started kind of looking at this and we started looking at this, it was understanding, well, B2B e-commerce, what, what really is that, right? It's not yeah. one thing like it would be in, in, in B2C. No, and I think I think again some of some of the kind of objections that we hear, um, I, I think we can look at those because I, I started kind of looking back at our CRM and some of our notes and and some of the objections that we've kind of previously had were you know I think firstly uh, our B two B customers don't want to order online, um, mm. you know is is that is that something you kind of believe in or do you think there's that's changing or what are your thoughts? I think I think it is changing. I think I think you know. You're starting to see a shift anyway, but obviously with what's happened, there's there's definitely I'd say more acceptance to looking at it, right? Yeah. So or engaging with it. I, I think previously, if there was, you know, it, sometimes in this part of the world as well, you know, we're guilty of, of kind of putting up barriers and, and saying no, this is the way business is done, right? And it's been done like this for the last 40 years. Well, you know, this this has kind of smashed that really to the point where everyone is thinking differently, um, and everyone has had to carry on. So just like we're having virtual meetings or, you know, we're, we're having virtual uh, games or even, you know, family get togethers, or like I said at the beginning a virtual birthday party, um, the business space is changing. So I think that uh, it's not so much anyway about us. It's more about, you know, people that are 10 years behind us, right? Well, sure. you mainly, not me, obviously I'm a bit of a younger guy, but you're obviously younger, but technically older. Um, yeah, so look, I think, I think, look, I think you're right. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's definitely challenges. 
we've got a poll on this. I think it'd be interesting to maybe just get some of the feedback yeah. on this, uh, yeah. you know, from your audience, especially now from a B2B perspective. So this might not be for everyone, but if you are, um, if you are involved in, in B2B decision-making or B2B purchases, um, you know, the question is, have you ever made a B2B purchasing decision solely using digital channels? So have you, have you kind of done your research online? Um, and then based on that, you know, made a decision on the back of it, maybe even prior to speaking to uh, a salesperson or a company. And we'll just wait for, great. Yeah, some, so, so, so as we some, said, this isn't, yeah. um, you know, this, this isn't so much as far as, you know, going and filling out a physical cart, it may be. Um, and we, we, I think we can mention some, uh, believe it or not, there's here in the region, there's an e-commerce platform uh, for aluminium sheets. You can actually go in and buy, you know, tons of aluminium sheets in a, in a shopping experience. But um, this is kind of more of that digital touch points to, to kind of make a decision. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll keep that running for another 10 seconds or so, so if you can just get your answers in. But I mean, yeah, I think I think this is a point. Um, and, and I think we had a question earlier from Connect about, um, you know, definition of e-commerce and, and yeah. an e-commerce strategy. You know, I think we, we've got to kind of differentiate what that looks like for different audiences, right? So from a kind mm. of B2B and B2C pers uh, perspective, B2C yeah. might be that entire online shopping journey. For B2B, it might stop at, you know, perhaps 90% of the way through that buying journey right yeah. you know where, where where you do need to then physically speak to somebody without you know before placing an order but but i still mm. feel as if that sort of contributes to that e-commerce and digital sales um role here let me just share these results because i think this is quite interesting again so again if we kind of summarize this majority of people you know haven't made a uh, a b2b purchasing decision but but they want to and I think this is this yeah. is really kind of key so you know the reason why we ask this question is because if you are a b2b company and you have sort of considered e-commerce as a strategy for your business, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time to kind of look at it a little bit closer. Um, and again, I think let's look at the objections because these might be similar to the kinds of objections that you had, or maybe you, you've kind of, you know, better been a part of your thought process. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I said, firstly, you know, people, you know, B2B customers, customers may not be willing to, but I think we can tackle that and say, well, actually there's a couple of things here. Firstly, let's go back to millennials. So again, you know, we're talking about people now who, you know, typically, you know, want to self-educate, you know, they don't want to speak to salespeople. And, and I think for these guys, you know, especially as, you know, millennials now become senior decision makers, I think it's important for them to uh, really kind of go as far as they can in that purchasing process without having to speak to somebody, right? So yeah. whether that includes kind of, you know, making sure that you've got enough content on your website, uh, where they can do their own research. Uh, I think things, things like that, I think become sort of more and more important. Yeah. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think obviously when, when we, when we're kind of, um, not shifting the conversation, but you know, in making the conversation more inclusive. So when we look at B2B e-commerce, we do look at that digital sales process. So as far as individuals, as we've mentioned, you know, the kind of millennials that are now, um, have certain frustrations and I think we'll share some 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 slides in a minute around that you know now is the opportunity as a business to look at some of those pain points um, and, and realize that people are changing the way that they interact with your organization the fact is that you know previously there may have been more of an opportunity to talk to somebody find out from a peer or something um, about a particular organization or a business um, speak to someone you know directly uh, but now, obviously, most people's first port of call is going to a website. So seeing the website, doing their own research, 
um, perhaps watching a video, downloading a white paper, looking at a testimonial. This whole this whole environment has changed and has forced people to change. Now, a lot, as I said, you know, a few, few minutes ago, what we're seeing is we're seeing a shift in organisations that had no digital presence. So they're they're kind of making the first steps um, into that space. And I think what's interesting is, you know, they're almost actually at the same point as other businesses now because yeah. other businesses are not thinking about this necessarily from a from a you know an e-commerce perspective or a digital sales experience perspective yeah. so and they're coming on board and they're having similar conversations so they actually almost have an opportunity to leapfrog right existing businesses that up to this point you may thought have had a, a pretty solid environment but they're yeah. kind of sitting back and saying well no you know people don't want to do it they only want to go so far so i think that you know businesses have got to be conscious of that as well yeah, I think things change, right? And again, you know, maybe yeah. maybe it's something like COVID, which fast tracks some of that change, and you know, definitely kind of impacts mentality. We've we've got some we've got some data here, and I'm just going to share my screen very quickly yeah. because I think this is quite important just to understand. You know, I think there's a there's a couple of challenges. Uh, there's a couple of challenges here, Andrew. So, you know, when we a lot of B two B businesses, I think, still look at their websites as brochures, right? Like a digital yeah. brochure of their business. And I think yeah. some of that some of that mentality's got to potentially change, but Again, this was this was um, this data comes from the MX group, and it was really kind of focused on millennial B two B decision makers. Okay, so just some context there in terms of where this data comes from. But yeah. you know, perhaps right now we might all get away with not having a, a digital sales strategy or a, or a digital B two B commerce strategy. But moving forward, I think we're going to all need to look at it, and and some of this data really kind of cements that. So, you know, what they ask people is, you know, what kind of influences, uh, you know, B2B sales or, or vendor choice or things like that. And, and, and it's now not just about your, you know, your, your website as a brochure, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. sort of far beyond that. I mean, to the point, I guess we can almost look at it and say, well, user reviews, potentially some of these are going to live outside of a website. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think webinars are interesting because, you know, I think certainly the ability to, to sort of educate your audiences, I think it has a really kind of important role in this process. Um, and, and sometimes if you're kind of using digital, you know, in that kind of as a replacement for potential, you know, face-to-face one-on-one time, I think this yeah. can be a really good medium. Okay. Um, case studies obviously are important now and, and, and potentially always have been, um, but interactive content. And again, I think out of all of these, interactive content is, and maybe case studies are the only ones that really live on, on a website, but yeah. you know, the rest of these things are, are potentially outside of that. So, so big sort of influences there. Any, any kind of thoughts on that before I move on? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of the, some of the, one of the main driving factors of us kind of doing this show, right, the digital growth show was that um, it presented an opportunity to, to, you know, essentially get out there and, and talk amongst ourselves and, and really kind of share the knowledge, right, that, that, we, that, we, that we have as far as yeah. we're seeing, you know, multiple businesses across, you know, hundreds and thousands of verticals, you know, on, on, on a daily basis, we're interacting and the whole team are interacting with that. And, you know, we're pulling that collective knowledge and putting it out there. And it would be very difficult to almost kind of pull this content in, in another medium, right? So, you know, we, we know, we see the stats, you know, obviously we thank you guys for, for watching us, uh, watching us live as it were, but it's a whole host of people that watch this after the event, you know, so yeah. we've still got people watching, you know, episode one and two that was, you know, five weeks ago now. So I think the thing is that for us to produce content um, outside of this, this, this webinar environment would be, yeah. would be a challenge. 
right? Um, but what yeah, it's done true. is it's allowed us to produce this and, and produce, you know, content that hopefully people can take away um, using their own, their own life and their own business environment. Yeah, I mean, content, content lives on, I think this is a point, right? Yeah. So it's, it's more That's than right. just immediate. Just, just the next one, again, I'll, I'll whiz through these, but essentially, um, you know, so if, if again, millennials, when they are kind of looking at, um, you know, that research process, and when they're kind of really kind of looking for a potential vendor, you know, what, what's important to them. And again, review sites pops up, uh, web searches. Yeah. So it is important to be, you know, visible, I guess, on, um, on search engines. That's nothing new, right? Um, <laughs> but offering things like demos and trials, again, taking a risk component out of uh, B2B purchases is important. Yeah. Uh, so social media increasingly so. And I think what really surprised me here was um, that peers and colleagues, um, you know, essentially that kind of word of mouth, that trusted yeah. word of mouth, um you know, it's not it's not as important as reviews from strangers perhaps right and i think that's yeah. really interesting mm. yeah i yeah. guess it's the the collective at that point where you know you may not be able to ask your peers or colleagues around a particular yeah. business decision uh because you just may not have the sheer data versus going to you know i think we use uh you know a whole bunch of different review sites when we're when we're talking about for example hubspot to 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 a potential uh, client at that point, you know, we say, well, you know, how does it be X, Y, how did your Salesforce, how does it stack up against dynamics on a CRM sure. level? And we actually send people to independently review sites. Hey, listen, yeah. don't take our word for it. Go and see uh, this and, and kind of see the independent reviews on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the last one here is, is again, quite important because again, what's important to your, to your purchases. And again, these might not be decision makers right now. These are, you know, again, millennials, but maybe five years from now, this becomes really important. Yeah. So, you know, I think there is a bit of time for B2B businesses to sort of transition into kind of digital sales. Um, but what I think, again, there's some really kind of interesting data here. We don't want to read all of it out. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think if you just want to pull some of these out now, I mean, I mean, look at where we are now and how important it's going to be to count essentially every penny, right? for every business yeah. owner and business individual. And I think here where it says, you know, provided content that made it easier to show ROI or build a case study for a purchase, you know, I mean, 53%, right? And, and very important, and 44%. Um, I think these are some of the things that need to be implemented by organizations now in that digital experience. And also things yeah. like, you know, the way that a vendor responds. Uh, this, this, again, is something where technology can be leveraged or the digital sales aspect which can be implemented to make sure that somebody is getting what they want when they want it. So even yeah. if it is, for example, when we're firing out things at two o'clock in the morning, if somebody comes back on our site at two o'clock in the morning, you know, you're awake clearly at that time, but everyone else is asleep. Um, but there's a, there's a pop-up, you know, there's a bot, there's a chat that enables you to have a conversation and still get yeah. the information that you want at that time. Um, you know, again, in a very personalized manner, we, we live yeah. in this, Netflix world we live in this ability to cancel and you know immediately kind of reactivate things on on a whim almost so we've got to yeah. allow some of that in the b2b space right yeah um, no, I, I, I agree with you I agree with you I think we, you know we'll look at a couple of more kind of objections that we get Andrew because um you know it's a shame yeah. actually but these uh these these surveys didn't really touch on it but one of the things that we get all the time is price transparency and, and I get that from a B2B perspective, uh, you know, there's maybe a limited number of potential vendors, um, competitors, then, you know, if you're suddenly very transparent about your pricing models or, you know, the cost of your services, you know, whether it's kind of a product or service that you sell, um, yeah. price transparency 
I mean, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I've, I've got an opinion on this, but we're interested to hear your, your thoughts. Do companies think, need to be transparent? I think, I think um, my, my, my thought process probably follows yours um, as far as I, I think, um, you know, we've, we've spoken, I think we can kind of throw it out there, the, the kind of great Marcus Sheridan, um, as far as I, I saw him going back nearly, I think it may have been six, seven years ago when I first saw him speak about, you know, do you put your pricing on your website? Um, and, and nobody put their hand up, right? And no one spoke about pricing. Um, yes. And everyone's answer was exactly the same. Ah, well, you know, it's, it's personalized. I've got, you know, I haven't got a set price. I'm not productized. I'm not, you know, so, and I think that hasn't changed. I think there's still a, there's a discomfort um, talking about price or, or at least having a conversation around price because, you know, people, are, a lot of the time people are driven by price. So there's a concern that you raising it at the very beginning, um, you know, either qualifies or disqualifies people straight away and, and negates the conversation. Um, so, which yeah. Is, which, is, which is great. I mean, in some respects, right? Because again, if, if you can qualify a yeah. client by price, I'd say more importantly, if you can disqualify um, exactly. A prospect because they can't afford your business, uh, your products and services. Yeah. I mean, you're saving, you're saving not just, you know, you, but perhaps, you know, multiple members of your team, a lot of time and effort on a deal that's never going to get anywhere. And I yeah. think typically, I think in the B2B world, price is almost that last thing you talk about. And, mm -hmm. and if it suddenly became the first thing that you spoke about, I mean, I can think of the amount of hours that I may have saved, you know, over the kind of course of my career, you know, just by having some sort of disqualification metric there um yeah. so yeah i think i think the price is important and, and yes it does depend on each customer possibly um you know customizations obviously impact price but again i think i think being brave enough to talk about it potentially again in the digital world when your buyers are going to rely on that information online um i i think i think that can open so many doors for a company as well so and actually we have we have implemented these kind of strategies for a number of businesses so if you've got any questions related to that specifically um you know reach out to us on linkedin or whatever you know however you can find us after show but you know there's i think there's definite kind of methodologies and, and we've proven that to be successful um and i think the, the last kind of big objection that i i see is that you know if people are ordering b2b services or products online it's cold you know, it's not relationship-based. We're maybe not going to get, uh, you know, longevity with this client. This is someone who's maybe only going to use us for a little while. You know, I, I kind of, I, I, I can understand that, but I'm seeing uh, that as less important, especially over the last three months. Um, you know, for a number of reasons. But what's your thoughts on that, Andrew? Yeah, I think that you can still, you still have the ability to to, to build a personal connection or build some warmth. But it, what it does, it just allows you in a digital sales environment to bring it in at the right time. So I think the thing is that, you know, if we, if we start to believe that the, 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 you know, the consumer or the customer or a client wants to, you know, build their own experience with you and their own journey and you allow them to do that, um, there is opportunities to, to create some touch points and some warmth through that. So it may be something as simple as a, you know, a walkthrough of a proposal uh, through video, for example, I think we've sure. done this where, you know, with the, the, the proposal could be, you know, left open questions. So it may be, well, hold on a minute. Why is this here on this here? We spoke about this on the phone, but what you've actually done is you've, you've, you've done something different. So I think that, you know, something like a, a personalized walkthrough of a deck or a presentation or, or a quotation um, is, is a way to create some, some, you know, personal dynamic and also create some warmth um along the way uh w without you know kind of forcing it right 
Um, yeah. So, so I mean, that's where I'd say that, that, that we're able to do that through those digital touch points. Um, and also just, you know, this, this video capability, the ability to, to communicate with, with individuals and a comfort level, we've seen a, we've seen a comfort level, you know, compared to two months ago to now, they, I'd, I'd say there's, there's a huge level of comfort now. Um, and, and also I, I think it's important and uh, just quickly that, that this isn't, you know, I was speaking to people this week, uh, just last week, they've been working from home for five years. So this isn't new for them. You know, having yeah. online meetings is not new for them. You know, meeting people for the first time up to the point where they're closing business, they're never going to meet them, right? Ever. But they're still yeah. doing business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Leanne, uh, Leanne's asked a question, I think, which is, which is a really kind of important question. And, and, and her question is focused on quality and, and yeah. specifically the quality of a final product. Um, so in B2B, whether there could be production of hundreds or thousands of a certain product, is it safer to be able to physically touch or see a sample of a product, mm. um, you know, before you kind of go into, into purchasing. Um, I, I, Leanne, I'll, I'll kind of uh, sort of help with this and, and we'll talk B2B and B2C with this, but from a B2B perspective, again, I think you only need to potentially take the journey so far, but there are so many efficiencies in speaking to a customer that's 80 or 90% certain that they're gonna work with you or buy your product. And if you was dealing with somebody who's maybe, you know, again, you're one of maybe 10, right? So they're only maybe 20 or 30%, you know, through that journey before they speak to you. Um, so if you can use, you know, again, reviews and testimonials that kind of emphasize quality, you know, that's going to take people much further down that kind of B2B sales funnel. Um, and I, I think that's important. The second way to counter that, and that's why I want to bring B2C into this, is I think it comes back to uh, reducing risk. Right, because for me, quality is a, a risk question. So if you had a money back guarantee, if you're not satisfied with a product, return it within seven days uh, for a full, you know, all of those things. I think we start to see something uh, which, which then does start to work a lot more for, for B2B uh, businesses. If we kind of look at the B2C side of that, a really good example, I mean, Andrew mentioned the mattress uh, companies, you know, which now let you sleep yeah, Casper, on their yeah. product, right? But in, in the car industry, this is this is changing yeah. massively. So so in the US, yeah. there's a, there's a company called uh, Carvana. Uh, there's something very similar in uh, in the UK. And what these businesses allow you to do is purchase cars, you know, which aren't small purchases, but purchase secondhand cars online. Um, they get delivered to your door, and you know what? You can drive around uh, drive around in these cars for a week, and if you don't like it, send it back. You get your money back, right? Yeah. And and I think people were people were never um, people were never kind of comfortable with buying. I mean, the car is something that you kind of touch and feel, but what they've also got in there is they've made sure that the maintenance and warranty and all of those kinds of things, you know, all the challenges that people face when buying a secondhand car, you know, they've, they've provided comfort levels. That look, drive it as around for as much as you yeah. want. It's fully covered and, and warranted for up to three months. Uh, but yeah. hey, look, if you don't like it after a week anyway, just send it back. And, and these companies are absolutely flying, you know, they're quickly turning into billion dollar enterprises because, you know what, they're just making it easier for people yeah. to buy sort of big ticket products. Um, exactly. but, you've got to, but you've got to be brave and you've got to be able to kind of, you know, have the right processes and believe in, believe in your product and your service, I think. And I think these, these things, I think, are relevant, again, for both B2C and B2B businesses. I, I, I think you hit a nail on the head there with trust, yeah? 
So that trust element is key. So what you're doing, you know, when you're starting to build that trust in, in either in a B2B or B2C space, you know, you're starting to edge away at people's trust. So at, at the one point, you know, they may have heard of you or they've landed on your site through a recommendation, but there's still very little trust at that point. So as you said, there is risk associated to engaging with businesses in, in, that, in that business. But as you start to add more value and, and kind of little trust, you know, almost like a trust ladder. So the, the kind of more yeah. steps you take, the more trusting you are of, of that business. So that may be putting in testimonials. It may be, yeah. you know, allowing them to speak to existing customers, you know, Hey, listen, don't trust me. Talk to one of my customers, yeah. um, you know, and, and start to, to build that. And it may be, yeah, obviously at one point there may have to be a, a physical component, but as you said, if you're so far down the journey at that point, that all you need to do, um, you know, is, is okay. Look, I want to, I want to, I want to see some of this timber, you know, I want to see this timber, see the quality, uh, it's not water damaged or it's being stored correctly. You know, let me, let me see it. They're so far down the journey at that point, And there's so much stickiness created with you that ultimately that just should be the final piece. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, aside from things like, you know, escrow accounts and, and obviously just the, you know, getting, don't want to get too deep into that. But as far as just building that digital sales journey, um, this, this, this is important. I think this is, again, when you and I were talking about this, this is where B2B can start to leverage that e-commerce play. So it's not necessarily putting, you know, for us, right? So it's not necessarily putting out uh, like a, a lead gen package or, or a social media package or something like that. It's not about that, but it's about educating potential you know, customers and clients to the point where they do want to, you know, kind of reach out a bit more and touch and feel, right? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Andrew, I think we're going to have to wrap up there. It's, uh, we're, we're over time again. So um, Yeah, we, it's, just, um, it's not working out well. I think we originally said that we were going to cap this at 30, 35 minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but we seem to, to kind of push over that, that hour. But, but honestly, we're only, we're only actually doing that as well, to be fair, because people are continuing to watch. <laughs> it's so true. so if, yeah, we, yeah. if we saw, if we saw uh, you know, um, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's great. Just got a great comment there from someone that we know. So, but, but I think the nice thing is obviously that, uh, that people are hanging around. Um, but it's, and we're seeing that again, we, uh, we, uh, we also track everything. So we see that people are watching us on, on post, uh, post event as well. Yeah. I feel like we scratched the surface though. Genuinely, Amit. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, honestly, this is this is such a deep topic. We, we probably could have done a B two B so uh, show separately. Yeah. Um, but I think look, this is this is cool. I think, guys, we, we always, um, you know, we, we welcome your feedback. Uh, any comments? You know, if you think parts of the show don't work, or if you've got any topics that you want us to look at. Um, yeah, if you don't like the show, then just email Andrew. Um, but if it's kind of interesting topics watch. you want to look in the future, just don't watch. If it's, if it's interesting topics that you want us to look at in the future, then, then direct yeah, those please. to me as well. But, but, but guys, you know, like I said, we want this to be interactive. So thanks to Thomas, Dan, Leanne, and all the others that sort of contributed, Raj, Raj. as well. Um, you know, thank you guys, because honestly, it really kind of helps us, uh, you know, mid-show to really kind of direct the conversation. Sorry we couldn't get around to kind of answering all those questions. There's a lot today. Um, yeah. But guys, look, thank you again. Thanks for watching. Um, we'll be back next week. I'm not sure what topic we're, we're going to focus on. But again, guys, if you've got any comments or suggestions on that, let us know. And uh, we're yeah. happy to kind of, we're happy to take it on. Yeah? Awesome. Definitely. Great. Yeah. Okay. Any fun? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll yeah. let you sign off because uh, I've been talking a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah no, i agree with all of you andrew talks too much so i think on that note uh, we'll end it there thanks guys and uh, see you next week see you later bye